Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Hey, welcome back to On the Table Gaming. It's episode 26, and today Josh cannot join me, so it is just myself, but we have reached out, and we have Fabio Curry, the game developer for Song of Ice and Fire, joining us. Fabio, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Uh, it, it was great last time, so I'm glad to be here again. Just in case people didn't catch that last episode, uh, Fabio is the lead developer for A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. And, and Fabio, so what does the that lead developer role entail again? If you could just briefly recap in case somebody jumped in on the podcast listening after the last time we talked to you. All right, then. The developer gets the raw material from the designer makes an initial draft of of a unit or an attachment or or a scenario. And then the developer puts those pieces in place so that it gets balanced. And also if it's flavorful, if it's fun, all these things need to fit in. Uh, so it's it's a lot of grinding. <laughs> <laughs> and so you you uh, you were saying last time that you watch a lot of playtest games. How many how many games do you think you've seen of a Song of Ice and Fire play? Ugh. Uh, I don't like at this point I stopped keeping score like in the beginning I was like okay today I watched a match or two, or two matches and, and so on but now it, it's hard to tell <laughs> I've been working on this for like a year and you see at least a game a day oh my gosh yeah but sometimes more yeah and when I get when I have time I try to like set up more matches there's a lot of other things involved besides playing so that also takes uh, some time. Fair enough, fair enough. So, you know, what I was thinking is you're, you know, the developer for the game, and today is actually the first day of the tournaments going on at Adepticon. Maybe for those that are at the event competing, is there any advice you might give, you know, tactically or just in general for tournament play? Um, I think one thing that's important in tournament play is, especially with the tactics cards, if you do play them, always uh say like uh, give some give the opponent some response time because things might happen and you're n you never know for sure what's going on and also so if you're going to do a card that gives you a free maneuver before you move your trade just like check with the other person are you okay with this i think that always helps in any game and some tactical advice i would say is always remember what mode you're playing and that killing is fun, destroying the <laughs> opponents is fun, but it doesn't always win you games. Go for the objectives, go for the points. That's something that if you keep in mind, you'll you'll see that that's what the game was meant to do. Yeah, that's that's pretty solid advice. I think that's that's probably borne out in some of the games that I've played as well. Always keep that objective in mind as you're going through. Do you have any, you know, favorite tips or tricks like tactical on the board or has have you ever seen someone do something in one of your games that that you were surprised the system like technically allowed? Yeah, but I usually change that. <laughs> uh, but now I, I think like since there's a lot of new things coming out and they're going to start to appear more uh, surprising situations because players will have more options. Ah, but okay. I think like especially in these first boxes, it's really... Right now, people only have access to starter sets and just a couple of other boxes. They still are, are trying to figure out the play styles. I'd say just give it a little bit more time and we'll start seeing some really surprising and amazing <laughs> combos and situations that you wouldn't expect. Now, there's a 
uh, kind of a, a like a slightly unorthodox or there's some people in the discord that like to really try and figure out ways to like break the game or like use weird rules interactions. And some people call it a power slide. And then other people started calling it uh, the, the Shelky shuffle after, after uh, Don Shelky, who won Gen Con last year and PAX Unplugged uh, last year as well, where they set up a situation where there's an enemy tray and maybe you've got like a unit of sworn, uh, sworn brothers with Jon Snow and uh, Ghost. You move Ghost up in front of the enemy tray and then you activate Jon Snow to charge in. But because Ghost is in the way of you being able to align 50%, when you hit the enemy, it pulls them over. Have you seen a maneuver like that? Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like the one yeah, weird interaction. Yeah, we we had a lot of we we busted our chops on that one. But <laughs> <laughs> I think now, like now, it, it's something that is so rare and it requires so much setup that if you manage to do that, like, good on you. Okay. Right? Oh. <laughs> Okay, like, I'm going to be practicing to learn how to do that better. <laughs> but I, I think that's not really the intent of the game. And it right, usually right. won't happen. Honestly, like, how much do you get off of that, right? You're right. Like, what is the potential benefit? It's so, so, so situational that, okay, it's really good to, like, as a case study. And it's really good to see that people are looking at the rules and they're trying to get keep us on our feet. But... <laughs> But I don't really think that that's something that will, is demeaning the game in any way. No, no. And yeah. it's so situational that we we just let it slide. Yeah. It, oh, is that, is that a joke? Is that a play on words? Let it slide with the, <laughs> the pullover? <laughs> yeah, I, I love puns when, when I get them. <laughs> I've seen on, on Facebook, and, and you actually mentioned a lot last time, the, the Song of Ice and Fire War Council app, you know, the official CMON app. Uh, for list building. Um, so what's your involvement with that app? And, you know, is, can you speak to that more? Sure. The guys from the IT crowd, they were already making the app. So when I joined in, it was very early in the process. So I got very lucky that they invited me to sit with them and say like, okay, what do you think is cool? What do you think would be helpful here? And obviously I just consulted, I guess, like, oh, this is this is something that they have in another app that we could use or things like that, like good ideas from other places. And yeah. and then they're just great. They they just did an, create an incredible job. And the idea is that we do keep it updated and alive and always like checking on feedback to not, not just for bugs, but also to make it better and see what people are asking for. So we just incorporated the rule book and also the game modes. And I think that really helps just for like quick consulting. So you don't need to carry around just more paper and so on. Yeah, actually, and I really like that you added in the units that are getting released later this month already into the the app. Um, I think that's really cool. And I, you know, we really try to stay on top of all things, A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, but I was playing with some people that are kind of more casually into the game and they weren't aware of some of the new units coming out. And when it updated in the apps, they were, I was like, oh, yeah, they're in there now. And so they pulled up like the Savage Cave Dwellers, which come out later this later this month. And they were able to look at them and they, and they were like, oh, man, these units look so great. And they were getting excited about them. So it's cool that people can actually see them officially in there um, before, you know, before purchasing them. Oh, definitely. And also, I think that lots of people like yourself like to create content. So mm -hmm. if you guys get it like a week ahead, uh, when they're yes. out in the stores, <laughs> like people will, will know what they do and what they're all about. Absolutely. 
So I don't know if you happen to have your War Council app handy. Do you have a, a phone or device nearby that has access to it? Yeah, of course, always. I I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know if maybe you wanted to uh, to build a sample list here. Oh, okay, sure. We can we can we can export it. They have that the cool export feature, and maybe we could put it up on. Uh, we'll put it up with the show notes for this episode. So in the newest version, it's got not only the rule book added, but also the game modes are added as a tab, which yeah, is the, awesome. And I really hope that helps. Like sometimes you just forget a rule and it's just right there in the, in the game modes. You can just go directly to them. Oh my gosh, it's so great. I actually had this up on my phone. I was playing, yeah, last night actually. And uh, just being able to pull this up and look at it during the game when I'm like, wait a second, what does objective A do again? <laughs> and rather than like flip through the book and like pile through all my boxes of stuff, just be able to whip it out on my phone and, and look right at it was great. So, uh, so here's the situation then. I've got my app open. I'm opening up the game modes. Uh, let's say I'm, I'm going to be playing against an opponent and I already know the game mode in advance. Maybe we'll just pick a game mode. Do you have a, do you have a favorite game mode? or? A... All right. Okay. You want to do one of the new ones or just like... Sure, let's do, do it. My favorite is one that people don't like. What, what's your favorite? Oh my gosh, now I need to know. Okay, my, my favorite game mode is the Winds of Winter. Uh, the one ah, with the secret objective. Yeah, okay. What do you like so much about that that game mode? Okay, I think that um, it really... You really need to know the deck and it really benefits veteran players. So that's yeah. one that I would I could actually I would actually want to see more in tournaments. Ah, okay. So, um, it makes people study a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, sometimes you don't get your optimal secret objective, but that means you just have to work around it, right? And I think it goes with the get good idea that I said last time. <laughs> Some characters like a uh, Tywin Lannister, mm -hmm. which is already really good if if you put him in the Winds of Winter. Yeah, he, he can get you three points for free if you're lucky, right? And, so, and stuff like that. So you really need to rethink your list building. All right, well, want to build. Let's. What, what if we say we know we're going to be playing the Winds of Winter game mode and we wanted to build the list for that? Does that sound good? All right. And all right. I'll, I'll stick to Tywin Lannister then. <laughs> all right, we're going to the Lannister. So I'm going to switch over to the Lannister faction here for the army's name. Uh, I was going to call mine Chase Those Points. Chase, oh, let's go with that. That sounds catchy. Um, look at that branding. Always be branding. <laughs> Chase those points. Man, you're good. Can I like hire you to do all of our uh, list names? Uh, that would be catchy. <laughs> all right, and we're going with Lannisters then. All right. Are you in the same app that we all have? Like if you hit all units you, for units to own, is it populate the same ones we have access to? Or do you have like some sort of like super hacked version that has like a year's worth of extra stuff in it? Oh, no, no, I don't have that. I, I do have, I think it's like the developer version, but Ooh. Uh, they but that only means like I get to see it like one day earlier or when they put the PDFs, like I, I helped to Wait, see it. Wait, one working. day earlier, that's all you get? Uh, see, yeah, IT guys, if you're listening, what? He's the developer, giving him one day early access. That, you got to give no, him like... No, <laughs> but I, I have like other means to get this information. I know, right? I know, I'm just teasing. But it's is are they as ease of access full as as uh, this mode? Due to the like the amount of things that I need to see at once, uh, yeah, there are other things that oh, are okay <laughs> maybe easier. Like if I have my my desktop open or something. All right, so I've got my my app open. I got to chase those points. It's uh, I've got zero out of forty, and we're gonna start off with the commander. You got me uh, like pretty offhanded. Yeah, I, I sprung this on you. Surprise. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, like I would actually start knowing that I'm getting the Taiwan NCU specifically for this scenario. Okay. And so, that means so. I can't use him as a commander. So we've got uh, Tywin Lannister for four points with his reins of casting ability. Once per game at the start of any turn, choose one enemy combat unit. That unit becomes panicked, vulnerable, weakened, and any attachments on that unit lose all abilities until the end of the round. So that's just already by itself an amazing ability. And now in a place where you have the secret objectives that you need to place tokens, uh, there's one card that gives you three points if you put one of each in a unit. So Tywin's got that covered, or sometimes you need to put like the same type of token on various units and mm -hmm. he'll just get that extra one for you when you really need the points. So I think that's already like an amazing ability, even outside of the Winds of Winter, and especially with the Winds of Winter. What sort of units do you like to, to fill up your list with then? Oh, okay. Since we have the Lannister Heroes 2 out, I think we we could get... What about the Kingsguard? Can we put the Kingsguard in there? Cause... Yeah, I don't think that would be very good, though, because you're going to give panic to all your units if, if they kill them. So you're making your opponent... He's going to have more access to that. You're right. What about, yeah. um, I'm looking at all this new stuff that I haven't played of the Warrior Sons. Yeah, exactly. So I think we could actually pick now for the commander, the High Sparrow. Okay. Since we already spent four points on Tywin, just getting that already cheap NCU, let's say, since he's your commander, really helps. And so the High Sparrow, his ability is he's an NCU commander, and he's got unwavering conviction. It's an influence. When this unit claims a tactic zone, attach this card to a combat unit until the end of the round. And when it's influencing a unit, they gain plus two to morale test. So he's going to be boosting up the morale of our troops. And since he's a, he has a very morale-centric tactics deck, we could actually use uh, some warrior sons. All right. I'm excited to get these guys uh, on, on the table, as it were. But we had a, our last podcast, Josh and I were talking about him, and he was saying that they are so overpriced for what they do. I'm, I'm still maintaining that they're going to be good. Yeah, here's the thing. With a 4-plus morale, they're basically always going to get the faith token. They're just so useful because you don't really want to... They, they cover a Lannister weakness, mm -hmm. which is morale, right? Most Lannister units have bad morale or average. So uh, they actually... They're, they have a defense that no other Lannister unit has properly at this point. Mm, okay. And they're always going to get those faith tokens. Like, basically. Now, this might have been clarified on some posts on a form that I haven't read yet, but do faith tokens interact like regular tokens? Like, how many faith tokens can you put on a unit? Can you uh, spend okay. multiple tokens? Condition tokens are a very specific thing, and so faith tokens are not condition tokens. Okay. Right? So that's our own something. thing. Yeah. In no place in the rule books does it define them as the same thing. It's, it's just a different thing. And now that little icon to the left of it, with the star in it. Is that like the universal faith token symbol we're gonna see on maybe other units that have faith? Yes, this is the faith symbol. All right, awesome. So uh, we have- a, Yeah, so this is the faith symbol. So we've got our uh, warrior sons in a high sparrows list now. Are you gonna just keep these guys like as a naked unit or are you gonna give them an attachment? Their own attachment, the champion of the faith mm -hmm. is very good with them because then you just have like full synergy, right? Let's say like usually you'd wanna do a Lannister panic list to inflict panic, mm -hmm. this would be a Lannister panic list of not taking panic, right? It would be your counterpart to uh, Berserkers with Mage. Ah, okay. 
And now, and this would also be a great list, maybe to field against uh, against a list or a another list, or another Lannister list, because it's every time they pass morale test. Yeah, I will go like thematic on having these champions of the faith getting really strong, just to show people what they can do, right? So let's add Barristan Selmy. Oh, all right. So Barristan Selmy, while you control the crown, each time this unit passes a morale test, it may restore up to D three wounds. This unit gains plus two to morale test rolls. So this is going to be a beastly unit then. Right. Um, so now you can't really complain. Okay, you're paying 11 points, but you have a unit that never fails morale, uh, basically heals, right? <laughs> Every oh turn. And is always going to get the and, extra and, attack buff or defense buff. Yeah, and they can give themselves essentially a three plus armor with those faith tokens. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but if you're gonna play Feast for Crows, you know. Oh man, I hate you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get my Free Folk Raiders to navigate around the map, but and I was like, at least everybody eventually gets so much worse with the penalties. But this unit might actually be able to hang in there for a long time. Yeah, it, that's kind of the point, right? And you don't need to put your High Sparrow on them anymore. Yeah. Oh man, okay. Well, so now that we've got this unit that doesn't really care about morale too much, but we've got the High Sparrow Commander, does that mean then you you might be interested in adding units that don't have as great morale that he he might get put down on? Yeah, I think he'll cover any weak spot in a situational moment from now mm -hmm. on. And now we don't need to really focus on that anymore. Since we're playing Winds of Winter, we need to put tokens. All right, so what are we thinking for the next unit then? So we've already spent 15 points so we'll add so i guess you're gonna take this to a tournament or something so you can't really put the mountain that it rides yet fair enough or this could be yeah maybe we'll stick with that uh, otherwise you know for a casual game at home or say next time i play against josh who's not here at the moment i'll just say hey i, I want to try out this uh lannister list that i just happened to come up with with the aid of the developer <laughs> although i might now that you say that i might want to be like i want to play this on feast of crows but but uh winds of winter we're still on winds of winter so let's put a guardsman okay just to have some supporting role unit someone to hold a position or an objective if that card comes out and now are you going to put a guards captain in here which a lot of people feel is like an auto include but with the high sparrow being able to bounce around can you get by without giving the guards captain? Uh, yeah, we have so much, so many other cool options at the moment now, right? With the hero box too. Let's check some of the Kingsguard out. Is it? Do you think it's a way? So you know, I haven't messed around with the Kingsguard that much. Uh, you know, just like kind of looking at the cards, thinking about them. I, I have invested in several boxes of Lannister halberdiers. Maybe that's a place that he could be put. Where you know, with their hold the line order. It says each time he makes a melee attack, he deals an additional wound, or you can roll a dice on a D3, you kill an attachment. So at least it's adding essentially plus one wound twice. To twice. Right, and it really, you know, you, you, I, I'm famous for like a three plus and I'll kill your guy and I roll like a two. And it's like, oh, I wish I had another chance at that. <laughs> yeah, I guess that really makes sense. When I say twice, I mean, because once you're going to use it with the Halberdier orders and then in your activation, right? Attacking again. Or, or am I you... going in the wrong direction and we want to be taking like Mirian Trant with Intimidation of the Crown while you control the crown each time this unit performs an action, one enemy who's in long range gains one condition token of your choice. Right. I would think we would put that on our guardsman, especially because okay. he's just one point. 
and we keep our guardsmen cheap. But speaking of your Jamie, that's a good idea because you'll trigger his attack more times. And basically the one wound is really good because you can automatically make the other person do a panic check. Gotcha. Because your attack is always, even if they block everything, right? So that's great for high defense and bad morale units. So we're, we're then at 29 points and I've got Tyrion Lannister, the High Sparrows are NCUs. Lannister Halberdiers with Jamie Lannister, the Kingsguard. I've got the Lannister Guardsmen with Mirian Trent. And then I've got the Warrior's Son and Barristan Selmy. Uh, and so we've got, you know, three, you know, pretty meaty units here. Maybe the Harbaudiers being the weakest armor-wise, but uh, set for charge, allowing them to do some damage. They're not really incentivized to attack your Halberdiers mm -hmm. because of Jamie. And what do we, do we need some cavalry? Do you, do you generally always take a, a fast-moving option of Lannister list to kind of balance things out, or is that just going to get them really. caught away? I, I don't really mind not using cavalry. I think you you have more options. You don't always have to have to have that extra mobility if lots of your people already move, like, five. Okay, I guess the Warrior Sun moves five. The Lannister Guardsmen, they're the slow bees moving four. And the Halberdiers are five. And since it's not really, uh, it's not like the Game of Thrones scenario, or it, you don't really need to go for the objective tokens unless uh, the secret mission tells you to. So how do we round this list out then? Okay, so we have 29 points. If we add some Pyromancers, we go to 36. And so you're a big Pyromancer fan. Uh, it's good to have something that's scary, right? <laughs> the one thing that I worry about with this list then is adding the Pyromancers in um yes there's a disincentive to fight pyromancers but i feel like when everything else is so resilient and and then like doesn't care these guys are definitely going to be the people they target first so we got to be really careful how we maneuver them yep and that's why we're actually going to add to them eris oakheart which is going to give them a little bit more more meat and so he's got protection of the crown while you control the crown Enemies suffer negative one to hit when attacking this unit with melee. Ooh. And ideally, you would actually want to um, shrink this list a little bit down, uh, like a point, and put Joffrey, because you already have three, four Kingsguard, but Jamie doesn't count in this case, that need the crown. But since we're playing the Winds of Winter, and we can't really... But since we're playing the Winds of Winter, and we can't really take that many tokens it's not really healthy we're gonna actually put Pycelle for three points okay so now is that the glaring issue with this this list by not taking joffrey and with so many units requiring to have the the crown zone it means essentially like every other turn your opponent's gonna have to have to go first and have to claim that zone yeah and you're paying a big price for that but um Either your opponent does that and it's not in his best interest and it doesn't really matter to you at all because you can take the blow or he'll just let it open and then that'll be really useful for you. And so that this puts us at a perfect 40 list then. It's the High Sparrow Commander with the Warrior Sons, Barrison Selmy in them, Lancer Guardsmen, Mirian Trant with them, Lancer Halberdiers, Jamie Lannister with them, and the Pyromancers with Eris Oakheart. 
And the NCUs are Tywin, obviously the High Sparrow, and then Pycelle. So you put out a lot of tokens in this list. Yeah, um, Pycelle is going to be your main token pusher, but you're trying to put some also with Marin Trant. And then and... on that turn you want, you drop those Tywin tokens and boom. Exactly. Oh, man. All right, so here's a kind of a fun list. Uh, test it out, guys, and uh, see how it, it does. And if you're winning with it, remember, it's the chase those points list. If you're losing, it's the Fabio Curry uh, developer list, and uh, <laughs> we'll just we'll just go with that. No. Well, thanks for you know thanks for putting uh, being going on the spot here and making a list here. It's so easy to go through the list builder. Just share my phone, flipping back and forth, making some substitutions, reading the cards, and so now that we've got this list made, uh, I'm gonna hit back and go up to the upper right and hit menu, and I can export it now. Um, yeah, if you click export, it's actually going to generate an army code that you can just share that. And if someone adds that to their clipboard, you know, like control C, mm -hmm. and, and then they go to the app and click import, it will just open up this new list that your friend sent. And you, if you do print, it makes a PDF. That's a, that's a pretty solid Lannister list. There's a lot of abilities in there. I've been practicing my free folk. Uh, you probably if you know, remember from last time, I'm a big Free Folk fan. And uh, we, we still really only have the starter set and the Spearwives. I've been playing a lot of games against Starks. I'm getting pretty comfortable with them. Some of the units like the, the Great Axes, which in the beginning were just like really mauling me, now are not such a problem. Finding that the, the maneuverability of them, their slower speed, allows me to oftentimes get the charge and, and try to coordinate attacks and like wipe them out early. They're not that tough. And then uh, playing against the, the Night's Watch and the games I've started to practice against them, uh, that's been tough. They're pretty hardy, but I feel like it comes down a lot to not letting them get the board control they want and heal up their units, at least the style of uh, Night's Watch players I'm playing. But the one list I've been really having a hard time with, and I don't know, maybe you had some tips, um, is playing against the Lannisters. I'm really struggling with my um, free folk lists against them. And just as a caveat, I'm playing against Lannisters in these games uh, against people that uh, I play with regularly. They know that I'm bringing free folk. They know the kinds of lists I'm going to be bringing. So, you know, things like panic lists or uh, allowing Kickstarter units like the mountain that rides in a unit of Lannister Knights of Castle Rock, they, they'll bring some of that along. And I've been kind of trying just to get like certain combos off to deal with them. So the 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 automatic ones are things like surround and expose, trying to shut down, you know, Lannister supremacy or something with that ability on a turn. But that's only two cards. Any any tips for dealing with the Lannisters? And now that we have the Cave Dwellers coming out and the Cave Dweller Alpha. Okay, um, I'd say like you said with the cave dwellers coming out that already is gonna have a shift in the meta but just your opponents knowing that okay he's gonna come with free folk but now we have these cave dwellers that are out and they don't really care for panic they can't really just panic spam you anymore mm -hmm. maybe to put another spin on here to jump in is uh you know so i'm oftentimes taking mance raider as an ncu i'm actually not playing mance as the commander that often these days i'm, I'm mostly doing tormund and that's worked at least for me learning the faction against people like the Starks where I'm trying to like outmaneuver and then smash them all at once with a bunch of charges. Um, and it may be that I'm just not used to playing the man's commander style. Uh, but I've also kind of just been thinking in the back of my head, like at right now with the launch uh, items we have, um, man's Raider, artful tactician. He's so expensive, but it's, it's almost something like I don't want to pass up, especially if I'm really worried about like shutting off units 
And so now I'm wondering, you know, against those sort of panic lists, maybe I can free up some points by not having to take him because the cave dwellers morale is going to be so good. Mm, I see what you mean, but it's still, that's still one unit. The NCU can kind of be everywhere and influence people. Yeah. I think the NCU, uh, you sometimes people take him just for the face value of the text of his card. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember that he is also an NCU. So that, that also implies that he's always going to claim the tactic zone. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. And that is really worth a lot of points. Yeah. He can't be killed. Right. And so that's, that makes him very malleable and strong. Right. I so, don't, I don't want to have you give away any spoilers, but do you think that the Free Folk Heroes Box 2, which no content has been spoiled besides like the cover image and like the little blurb on website, like there's no, we don't know any abilities in there. Do you think that will have a big impact on the play style of the Free Folk? Or is it mostly kind of doubling down, you think, on themes that already exist? There will be a, uh, an, an impact on play style. Okay. Uh, Definitely. Do you, but do at think... the same time, it maintains the theme. Oh, man. Okay. I'm excited. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying there's no value judgment against playing Lannisters right now as free folk. It's really, honestly, I've been playing so much against Starks and then really trying to get in more games against Nightwatch. I've just been kind of spamming games to see like, okay, can I get a feel for what I need to be doing and what doesn't seem to be working? Mm-hmm. And then now going against Lannisters, the problem is a lot of my opponents know like the variation of units I have and what I'm bringing. So after a while, it's like, well, then we know he's going to bring either two of these or two of those. But the Lannister ones, I just started trying to really do a bunch of. And uh, that I've had to adjust the most from. I have some good advice for uh, for free folk players against the Lannisters, mm-hmm. especially that pesky panic list. Yep. You want to bring the fight to them. So which actually like Lannister panic lists have a strong weakness, which is they're very, very vulnerable to panic themselves. Mm-hmm. So you you're trying to get them from the side to try to cut their morale a little bit more, and obviously with free folk that's something you can do. You can outmaneuver maneuver them. Yeah, and like screening your giants to do that finishing blow, like maybe having a giant. <laughs> and now once again with the cave dweller savages, right? You have vicious at your just at your disposal right. and so now your enemy lannisters really have to be careful right because once again if you screen these savages right they'll get close if they're being screened crown won't really work on them and then they'll get there with the vicious and they'll wreak havoc and i guess we also have the cave dweller alpha right that gives out a panic token on exactly. a successful charge so we can force and... those rerolls. Hmm. Yeah, you can force those rerolls, and you can actually put them on your raiders, right? So oh, now wow. you're, you're spreading your your effects. So like your raider comes forward, and now he's actually a little bit more worth killing. But then, should I kill the savages first? You know, like what's worse? And then the raider can come first, put the panic token, and the savage comes second, and use that, even though they can use it on themselves, obviously. Yeah. And here's another thing, uh, you know, this is all me just trying to learn the facts. And sorry, listeners at home, if you're like, what? Like, why are you only talking about free folk here? Um, 
raid leaders. I've been often running like free folk raiders with a raid leader, and then I'll have like a unit of spearwives going next to them. And I use the raiders to like engage, and then the spearwives will then charge in after. Do you often flip it, or do you see a lot of people running like spearwives or another unit with the raid leader, and then they, they use that to trigger the raid? The raiders to charge in because then they're getting the gang up bonus. I'm just trying to think of like what's the best synergy to use that. If you had any tips on that, um, I think that the way that you're doing it is pretty fine. You know, raid leader on the raiders and then the spearwind next to them because mm -hmm. that means they don't really want to hit your raiders. Mm -hmm. They don't really do anything right. apart from just bog you down or push the spearwides forward like once or twice. I've just been trying to use them as like a kind of like a screening unit almost. But and, and that that is good. That works. I think maybe if if you're thinking about raid leaders and spearwives, it might get a little expensive. But if you put a spearwife with the raid leader and the other one with the cave alpha, and oh. you get two charges with sundering, and the second one puts a panic token, mm -hmm. and that might be good. Like not as a finishing unit, but as a one-two, and they can actually finish right because uh spearwife charge is pretty strong with the yeah sundering. okay interesting yeah can i can i draw you into a little bit of like an online debate that was going on i don't know okay. if you saw the post about uh when you set up the board with terrain should you be thinking about trying to get yourself like an advantage so my thought at least was that since you you alternate putting terrain down I might try and set up a situation on the board that's going to be favorable to me. Like an example I gave was like, if I have Stark Bowman, I might try and put a palisade that's impassable, but I can shoot over near an objective. And so if I get the table side I want, I could just run to the objective. But if I don't, I can move my guys over and shoot over the palisade at the objective. And I felt like, you know, in a competitive mode where you're placing terrain alternating, that that might be kind of what the game was thinking, right? That scenery is part of the strategy. There was another, you know, so that's kind of where I was on that issue. Maybe I was misinterpreting the spirit of those. The other side, people are saying is like, no, every time you set the game, you should try and set up to be somewhat of a neutral state so that each side, regardless of which side you get on, everybody feels like it's kind of a balanced table. Do you have any thoughts on what? Well, okay, so I guess like, let's say you're gonna play a game and you're at a tournament. Yeah. You wanna have an edge. Right. So if players are, Placing the terrain and not the tournament organizer, I think that says something in itself. Yeah. Also, like you get that example with the Stark Bowman, or for mm -hmm. example, your choice of terrain, right? So if I'm going to play Free Folk, why don't I just take two Weirwood trees? Right. Or I don't know. So that you feel like it's kind of built into the game system. Because there were some people that felt like, well, that seems like it's bad manner. You shouldn't place terrain for advantage. But to be honest, I was like, well, no matter what I put down, I don't think I can like, how do I not place terrain for advantage? Like, what does that mean? You know, like, <laughs> do I put something that's yeah. going to hurt me? But then it's giving not you an advantage. That. Not just that. If you win the dice roll, you can pick either initiative or yeah. the side of the field. Right. So that means, like, if you're a risky player, you want to try to take advantage of terrain and then work on that initiative, you know, try to risk your luck. But if you want to play safe, you should try to make a neutral table. But that's all already part of how to capitalize on terrain because you, you need to take the role in consideration. And then the last thing is, um, I don't know if you've seen the, um, what game mode is it? Game of Thrones maybe? But there's like a, no, there's one where you basically place a palisade in a way that you can only get a solo, mo a solo model 
to the objective. Oh, good on you. Oh, and that's okay. And that's like, you know, that's just the thing. Like, is, is it within the restrictions? Like it's six inches further from deploy and six inches further from than at any other terrain piece. Yeah. It, it's following all the rules. Like okay. there's no gimmick, then sure. Okay, so that's interesting. So then sort of on the competitive level, then you actually might want to be thinking about deploying your scenery in a way to prevent certain board states like that from arising. So you can put it down so that it's, they can't put it within six inches of that piece and do that, or you might be trying to do it yourself. Exactly. Ah, interesting. Okay. Well, that definitely makes solos really important for your game mode. All right, Fabio, I know we're running out of time. Thank you so much for coming on. We're going to have a ton of Adepticon news next week. We got a bunch of people there that's going to feeding us information. Carl's the TO. We got that Terry girl who's playing. Good luck to her out there. Don Shelke, of course, and everybody else who's participating. So in the meantime, we hope you get your miniatures on the table. <laughs>